Please listen carefully. And now, live from the attic that smells like a basement in McKinney, Texas, it's the Assuming Positions Podcast, featuring four left feet performing a tango of trivia, Kevin and Mikey. Hey everybody, welcome to the Assuming Positions Podcast. Kevin over here. And Mikey over here. And today on the podcast, we're debuting another new segment. It's fun when you uh, like actually have uh, meetings with your producers and stuff, and you come up with all this these new ideas. Fresh ideas, fresh brain experiments, absolutely. Um, so we're all kinds of nerds. Everyone's nerdy in different ways. And one of the ways that especially Mikey is <laughs> very nerdy is Mikey's a music nerd. He's got a record collection and with the vinyl, I mean. And it's kind of something that our producers said, hey, man, why don't we highlight that on the podcast? Yeah, because for as much as we do have overlaps as our group, our friend group does, like, when, you know, we all listen to a, a lot of the same things, like we can get along with it. But everybody has their own specific nerdery when it comes to music, for sure. And not only that, but if you catch us at a convention and the convention will let us, <laughs> we will all bring our instruments. Backyard band. And yeah, the Assuming Positions of Backyard Band is a thing. I think on a, a podcast many, many, many podcasts ago, we actually played something. I think it was the Red, uh, Red Dead. It was our Flat Neck Station Blues yeah, song. Flat yeah. Neck Station Blues. Uh, so uh, we do have a band associated. So that's another reason to come out and see us at things because we always will try and we, we did a panel that we just played at the panel. Oh, it went amazing. That animated uh, Dallas. And uh, if they don't let us do it, we'll just set up in front of the venue and just put down the hat and start busking. That's it. We're, we're busking level for sure. <laughs> so with that in mind, what do we like to do on this podcast? Let us build things. We build crews. We've built all kinds of post-apocalyptic zombie fighting crews. Uh, we built a sitcom family. Yeah, heist crews. uh, uh Dungeons and Dragons parties, sci-fi ship crews, so much. We've done so much. So we decided to mix that with our love of music. Yeah. And we're actually going to build a fantasy band. We're getting the band back together. <laughs> I'm so excited. In this specific episode, we're going, it's called Assuming Positions Build a Band 90s Rock Edition. 90s Rock Edition. Because uh, I don't know what it is, but I think both of you and I agree, and I think uh, Brad and Scott could fall into this as well, but it's nice to have restrictions in your thought experiment. Yep. You know, just like, so we're saying 90s, so it's artists and bands or musicians or artists, all those people from the 90s, and mm -hmm. that's it. Like, you might have favorites from the 2000s, you might have favorites from the 40s, but yes. specifically, we're 90s. talking 90s. And now some ground rules. We had to come up with ground rules for what <laughs> codifies as 90s. Now, to us, it's someone who they hit big in the 90s, and they are part of the zeitgeist of the 90s. Yes. Because there's plenty of bands that started in the 80s that didn't really make it until the 90s, and this is what I hate. I hate how Ranker and all these these websites do these lists. And they'll be like, top acts of the 90s. And they'll put Britney Spears in there. <laughs> L listen, I'm leaving Britney alone. Britney's great. Um, Leave Britney alone. <laughs> she's great. But yes, I know that album came out in 1999. But she's a 2000s artist. She's an aughts artist. As really. far as the zeitgeist goes. Yes. Yeah, I get you. Yes. So that's the kind of the crossover stuff. So I do have like, I think we have a lot of st stuff in here where these guys started in the 80s. I mean, take Nirvana. 
Are you going to say Nirvana's an 80s band because they formed in 89? Uh, no. Uh, you could, though. Yeah, but they're not. Mm. I mean, they defined the 90s. And when, yeah, as far as their cultural movement, yes. it was never mind, that's 91 yeah. and onwards. And yeah. then, you know, they had an end in 97. Right. So, right. 96. So, so that's the parameters there. So don't get on us if you're like, this band started in, you know, 19 whatever. We're talking about, and this is this is very much my wheelhouse. This is why we started with it. Like I said, Mikey's more of the music nerd than I am. He's going to go deep anytime we do this. Because I'm a little more, it. yeah, I'm a little more mainstream with stuff. And I was in college and high school in the 90s. So I'm a grunge kid. I wore the flannel and the jean shorts and the too many necklaces and there you go. the bracelets. Big boots, even though it's summertime. Yeah, it was either big boots or chucks. <laughs> you know, it was so... I mean, I was in it. So this is my wheelhouse. Uh, so start off easy with me. Uh, slam dunk it. And it's also this is a this is a theme on our build a crew. Like this is we're picking our favorites. So mm-hmm. you can pick your favorites. Pick along with us. Yep. Tell us why we're wrong because your favorite is better than our favorite. But you're still gonna have to suck it up because these are our favorites. So we decided to, the spots for the band we're picking. We're gonna pick a drummer. We're going to pick a bass player. We're going to pick a guitarist. We're going to pick a singer. And then we are picking a wild card. Just for that little spice. A little spice. That can be anything like, you know, a keyboard player, a backup singer, whatever, just for funsies. Yeah, but if you're starting a band in the 90s, those are the four prime people you needed. Right. Because that seemed to be all the music. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That was all the music. So we decided we're going to start in the back because usually when a song starts, the drums will lay down first, sometimes the bass. But, <laughs> the, but you know, this is the, the drums are going to lay down first. So, uh, Mikey, who is the drummer that you're picking for the band? We're going to have to name the band at the end, I guess. Oh, yeah. I didn't even think of that. Yeah. We got to name our band. Okay. We're going to have to figure out what genre they play, too. I'm glad. Well, yeah, genre I got. So, but I'm going to have to brainstorm name while we go through yeah. this podcast. Mm-hmm. But before we start, we there's one more caveat. Yes. We're not allowed to pick anyone from our favorite band of the era. Which, for is, you, is? Is the band. Oh, he's got the t-shirt on. The band Live. The band Live, known for Lightning Crashes, is probably their biggest hit. Yep. Um, a lot of people go, who's live? And then you play them like, their hit songs, which are multiple. And they're like, oh, yeah, those guys. It basically, because Mikey and I realized when we were going to do this, it would basically be like, I would like, I picked the four guys from Live. Pretty much. And you would be like, I picked... The four guys from Smashing Pumpkins. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I wish I could bust out the Smashing Pumpkin shirt. I have one. Let me go change. No, I'm just kidding. But not wearing a shirt, but absolutely live for you, Smashing Pumpkins for me. Sort of off the table just to get rid of the the immediate defaults. Right. The the immediate, we want to make it a little more challenging for us. So uh, just so everyone knows, my favorite '90s band is Live. I've seen them seven times plus. In concert. There you go. Mikey's seen Smashing Pumpkins. Uh, about eight times. Yep. So <laughs> there you go. That's where we're coming from. And by the way, I have to say Smashing Pumpkins is also one of my top five, ten, top ten at least. Uh, I'll have a comment when we get to guitarist just to get my two cents in there, but yeah. it is off the table as far as building yeah. the band goes. Um, so uh, we're going to start in the back with the drums. And Mikey is going to start with his drummer who is backing your band up. On the skins. I know we just talked about eliminating like all-time favorite bands, but we are talking about the 90s, which is like there are certain, some people talk about 2016, some people talk about 1979. There are like eras of music that are just huge and Mm -hmm. like whether you're into it or not, you know about it. 
I'm pretty sure most people know about this guy, so I'm not going to like break any ground. But my drummer for me, my I'm building this band. The drummer I want in the back to hold everything down is Dave Grohl. Oh, yeah. But in, in the 90s sense, it's from Dave Grohl from Nirvana, mm-hmm. who was 17 when he joined this band. I just want to start off with that. Mm-hmm. You think Nirvana, you think Kurt Cobain, you think Nevermind, you think huge revolutionary albums in the terms of grunge and defining the 90s. And he's 17. Yeah, I know. Go listen to, like, I know you've heard these songs a million times. Yep. Go listen to In Bloom. That's the song I was going to bring up because, I mean, people talk about Smells Like Teen Spirit. Starts off with a cool guitar riff. But if you play that riff, everybody's going to know the drum fill that comes in four measures later mm-hmm. because of Dave Grohl. And he's 17. <laughs> uh, like, it blows my mind and I can't say it enough. But Dave Grohl joined, the, uh, joined Nirvana for Nevermind in 1991. And my favorite rumor is that, like, well, uh, uh, talk about his style a little bit first, but Dave Grohl is not a flashy, he's not a rush drummer. He's not a prog band drummer. He's not, he, do, he, he does fills and stuff, but he falls in the category of drummer like John Bonham from Led Zeppelin, mm-hmm. like ACDC drummer, like even Ringo from the Beatles. He just knows how to get that groove established, sit in that pocket, and just ride it all day long. My favorite tidbit, though, is when they were recording Nevermind for Nirvana, they had to replace the snare head after every take in the studio because he was playing so hard and loud. Oh, wow. Like, he was breaking drums every time they tried to do a take on each of their songs. That's, that's, that's a beast. That's a monster. Also in that, Nevermind was recorded by a producer named Butch Vig. Mm-hmm. Yep. I think this is a secret sort of part of the lightning in the bottle of why that album was so huge. Butch Vig was the drummer for Garbage. Yep. And he know it as far as his production goes, he came from a drummer standpoint. And you get a kid like Dave Grohl in there who's just a monster on the drums. You're like, okay, let's highlight this guy. And so that's what they did. And I think that's why Nevermind as a drum album resonates so well. But also, like Dave Grohl, now we get the history and going a little bit out of the nineties, but Dave Grohl not only he could have been one and done with Nirvana. Yep. They were millionaires. You mean like Chris Novoselic? Exactly. <laughs> See, like, that's it. It, it could have been Nirvana was it. Mm-hmm. And if that was the only thing Dave Grohl ever done, he'd still be my drummer pick for this band. Mm-hmm. But he's gone on to Foo Fighters. I mean, yep. that's, a, that's a whole separate thing. But also, Dave Grohl loves getting together with his friends. He loves being in these sort of pickup bands. Mm-hmm. He drummed on my favorite Queens of the Stone Age album, Songs for the Deaf. He drummed on a metal album that he did it for himself. He called all his metal friends together and said, hey, you want to come sing on my album that I'm drumming on? It was called Probot. And he even does silly things like there's a band called Killing Joke that Nirvana, that tried to sue Nirvana because they said Nirvana ripped off one of their songs. And Nirvana was like, uh, not really. And it, there's a whole legal debate and you can go follow that. But as a funny sort of makeup because Dave Grohl is such a cool, he's like the dad of rock and roll at this point, but he's such a cool guy that he went, he reached out to killing joke and said, Hey, I'll drum on one of your albums. And let's just like, it's, this is, this is the olive branch. Let's just be friends again. And that's what happened. And the drumming is great. There's so many songs you can point to. Like I said, in bloom for, uh, nevermind to start to sm- it smells like teen spirit. But mm-hmm. for me, Dave Grohl, the epitome is Queens of the stone age songs for the deaf. It's just, I love Queens of the Stone Age, but that's their best album because of Dave Grohl. So 
I definitely want him on the skins and the backbone and the rhythm section of this band. Yeah, Dave Grohl such a it's so interesting because Kurt Cobain burns so bright that he For was sure. kind of in the sh- literally in the shadow of Kurt Cobain, and then once the bad things happened, <laughs> yep, and and Nirvana was no more. He went on to do the Foo Fighters. It took him a while because it's very in- interesting how good friends he actually was with Kurt Cobain. Very true, uh, and. He's so talented. He's a musical genius in a lot of ways. And it makes you wonder how much he contributed to the success of Nirvana other than just playing the drums for them because you see all the genius later. So you wonder how much of that he was bringing into the collaboration in the studio because, like I said, Kurt Cobain got pretty much all the credit. Oh, absolutely. Uh, And after seeing how much that Dave Grohl has done subsequently, it makes me think that he had a bigger part than just, like you said, Ringo, you know, kept <laughs> yeah. the beat and everything was fine. And if you watch the documentary stuff, he pretty much stayed out of the way. <laughs> I, I'm not sure that Dave Grohl stayed out of the way. Yeah, and I don't mean to limit him by just making him the drummer because the rumor is, like, the whole first Foo Fighters album, every sound you hear is done by Dave yeah, Grohl. Like, everything. So not only can he drum, he can sing, he can yeah. write lyrics, he can play guitar, he can yep. play bass. So hey, I, I'll take that multi-talent. Yep, for sure. That's a great pick. Um, you can't argue that. <laughs> all right. So for me, so this was an interesting experiment. Like I, I said, I would pick all the guys in live. They're my favorite at all their instruments pretty much, mm-hmm. especially, though, the drums and the bass on that. Chad Gracie and Patrick Dahmer are, are great drums and bass. I love it. They just kind of make it uh, for me. Uh, so I had to go back into all my like songs from the 90s and mm-hmm. just start listening and being like, who plays the drums that makes me go like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah give me more of those drums. And I came to a guy whose real name is Frank Wright, but he's known as Trey Cool. <laughs> Way better name. The drummer for Green Day. Yes. Man, I remember when Green Day first showed up on the scene, because like I said, this is all like high school, college age stuff for me. And there was a whole punk revival that was kind of happening mm-hmm. at that time that was also going along with with the grunge coming up as well. And it's real interesting because Trey Cool is the way he plays the drums. It's like a, it's like a machine gun, <laughs> yes. um, and but it's it's technically really good. Like because you know punk rock can kind of be sloppy in a lot of ways. That is sort of like the 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 myth not the mythos, that is sort of the the mentality like yeah. just get your message out there, it doesn't right. matter if it's perfect, like do it yourself, DIY. Right. But he's he's a technically good drummer. He'd been playing since he was 12 years old and if you go look online you can find him. It's a really bad recording, but you can find him playing like jazz drums and stuff and he has all that technique okay. in there. But that's not how he plays with Green Day. He's like plays a million miles an hour it's his drum fills sound like a machine gun going off um i've i've seen him liken to animal from the muppets when he plays absolutely and he he kind of has this weird combination of it's almost like i almost call it the way i hear it is kind of grunge punk drumming okay because one of the ways that it's easy to tell grunge music is how much symbols are written there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, like crashiness yep. to grunge music. And usually in, in punk, there's not. And usually punk is just a lot of like drums and they'll they'll hit the cymbal, but it, it's kick and snare, four on the floor. Yeah, and, yeah, and they usually aren't riding the hi-hat or anything like that. Mm-hmm. That's jazzy stuff. Mm-hmm. 
But Trey Cool through listen to any listen to any of their songs, you'll hear there's a lot of that there's that <laughs> going on along with his crazy kick drums and his crazy drumming. So it's real interesting. It makes me wonder if that's why they kind of rose up into popularity in the midst of this grunge stuff, even though they're more punky, because he had kind of that sound, that crashy, splashy drum cymbal sound absolutely that a lot of the other punk bands didn't have and it wasn't just the straight ahead four chords punk stuff they were doing like weird like western rhythms and Mm -hmm. they would have crazy chains up especially in their later albums but for sure yeah so and you have a funny story about them having to change the heads on dave Grohl's drums yep there's a the when they were doing dookie and they were doing basket case they said that he was really hard to record drumming because He's so improvisational okay. that they had to be like, okay, man, you need to, because <laughs> it, it's hard, it's hard for the, it was hard for them to like mix it and stuff. Cause he's used to playing live and really improvisational, yep. you know, and the extra hits and stuff in there. And they had to like rein them in a little bit and be like, all right, man, just play the same thing you played last time. We just need to mix this. Yeah. Like, and that's, it's that's like awesome. the producer said, it's not that he's, it's like, it's, he says, it's not that he wasn't a good drummer. It was just so wild and crazy. We couldn't just let him go, you know. <laughs> I believe it because uh, I've I, I've had the, the fortune to see Green Day twice live, mm-hmm. and you can see. I mean, you can go find plenty of YouTube videos because Green Day is now a staple in, in in pop punk and just regular punk. But Trey Cool seems to be the most energetic out of the three of them. Yep, like Billy Joe Armstrong, absolutely front man. Mike Dirt, you know, he's just holding down on the bass. He he gets this silent, mysterious sort of mm-hmm. character. But Trey Cool like stands up when he drums. Like yeah. he just like you can tell. Like I don't know if it's like Ritalin or Red Bull or something. He has so much energy. Yeah. Do you know about his the crazy Letterman bit? I don't. Okay. So David Letterman loved Green Day. Okay. Because he had him on. He had them on tons. Gotcha. Um, and I don't know if people know. I mean, David Letterman's been out of the game for a while, but he loved music and music acts. Mm-hmm. And he was. You have to remember that he was started doing a show in the early eighties. So he was having like the OG punk acts on oh, for his sure. show because he was a young guy and that's all they could get. He wasn't the, you know, he wasn't the Tonight Show. Mm-mm. And I think that kind of formed his musical tastes. So when a Green Day comes along, he really liked him and enjoyed him. So he had him on tons. Awesome. And Trey Cool would always do bits at the end where he would do pratfalls, where he would like fall over his drums and knock them all down. That's great. Or he'd go, he'd go up to, he'd jump on the risers and he'd like fall <laughs> and, and then act like he was convulsing <laughs> and stuff. And I think one of the last bits he did, he was wearing like a smoking jacket while he was playing. And at the end, he ran over because Dave always comes out and shakes hands. Yep. He ran over to Dave's desk, sat down on Dave's desk, put his feet up and pulled a pipe out <laughs> and started smoking it. To, to celebrate the smoking jacket. Yeah, That's it's, a great bit. It's so funny. So as far as stuff to go listen to, one of the great, some of the machine gun fills that I like to call it, he does. The song Burnout is yep. a great example of that. And uh, I think if you want to hear that, that that kind of grunge punk drumming I'm talking about, listen to 89 or Longview. That has a lot of that uh, stuff. Like I said, you can go out there and you can find him jazz drumming stuff. And he does so much other stuff, too. The most interesting thing is, is that Willie Nelson's a drummer, uh, Paul English. Okay. W- when he passed away, Trey Cool was the one who filled in for, for Willie Nelson. Will, Will Nelson. Hey, that, that's awesome. Yeah. That's props to Trey Cool. Yep. So, because you kind of figure like a punk band like that, that is your lane that you're sort of stuck in. Mm -hmm. But if you can go drum for Willie Nelson, yeah, that's chops. Yep, he's got some chops. 
Oh, I love it, though, because uh, Dookie was the first CD I ever bought with my own money. Oh, really? Do you remember the first CD, like your first music purchase with your own scratch? Yeah, it was Jay Giles' band. Oh, there you go. It was a it was a vinyl. I bought it at a garage sale. That's, that counts. Um, but yeah, yeah, that Dookie album was 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 really a big deal, man. It was a big deal. That's it. I bring that up. That was my first musical purchase because I actually bought two CDs at that time, and the second CD I bought leads into my bass pick. Oh, what is it? So that's my segment. But we're picking bass players now after some awesome drummers. I don't know who, who would win in a drum off between Dave Grohl and Trey Cool though. That'd be hard. That would be real hard. I'm hoping that Dave Grohl's a little rusty after, because <laughs> he's got um, the blonde bomber back there That's playing true. for him now. <laughs> yeah, Taylor Hawking. I don't know. It'd be interesting to see, though. But like I said, we're getting into bassists now. The second CD that I ever bought with my own money, I guess I was gonna destined to be a punk kid. I'm 13 years old and coconuts or strawberries or whatever store no, no longer yeah. exists anymore. But the second CD I bought is a punk band called Rancid. Wait, you bought Green Day and Rancid at the same time? Two punk albums. All right. Dookie and then Rancid's and Out Come the Wolves. Did you get the patches to go on your <laughs> jean jacket? Your jean? I wish I could have. I wasn't that cool. To, uh, I, like, that was the thing with Rancid. Like, I think that's how I came to know them because you would see them like on patches, on right. jackets with that logo. I mean, the two the two punk jackets I saw most often with the big, like, the big patch on the back yes. was either Misfits or Rancid. Both awesome logos. And then also sometimes you'd see the smaller patches along with the Green Day patch and all these other yeah. bands and stuff. What do you think was what was the most legit way to put your patches on the jean jacket? Was it to stitch the have your mom stitch them properly? <laughs> or no, no. or the or the loose stitching or or the safety pins? Uh, obviously, safety pins is the classic. Right. But I think the whole point of the cool kids would call them battle jackets. You can still go find them. There's a whole subreddit for them, which is hilarious. So they're still alive to this day. But for battle jackets, I think the whole point was the punk DIY, do-it-yourself, yeah. handcrafted. So I don't have thread and needles. I have safety pins. Safety so idea. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to craft it as well as I can by myself. Maybe some loose stitches in there, but it's not something your mom right. did. Yeah, they had safety pins for their ears. So, originally. There you go. I, I was never that cool. Like, I love the music, but I, I, I did the, the store-bought studded belt, you know, the oh, store-bought yeah. checkered vans. Like, I tried. I, I did my best, but <laughs> I was also 13, 14 at the time, so <laughs> hadn't gotten into arts and crafts yet. But, man, did I love Rancid. Mm -hmm. And the reason I pick the bassist from Rancid, whose name is Matt Freeman, shout out to you, is because... It's 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 sort of a similar reason to why you pick Trey Cool. When you think of punk music, you think of like the Misfits, like we were just saying, or the Ramones. And that's three chords, even the Clash, like three chords, one rhythm, just get the message out, four on the floor, let's hammer it out. But there are punk bands that added little twist to it. Ranta gets a lot of credit for adding a little ska and reggae in mm -hmm, there, mm -hmm. giving yep. it a little bit of up, upbeat jangle. But I think their secret sauce was Matt Freeman on the bass, in much the same way, not to bring up the Beatles again, but here we go, Paul McCartney gets a whole bunch of credit for being a great bassist because he plays the notes that you don't expect. Right. Rather than just, because like you think of a bass player, you're like, oh, I'm just going to play the root of the chord, you know, I'm just going to be underlying the guitar and then the guitar gets to steal the spotlight. Not true with Paul McCartney and not true for Matt Freeman in a punk band. He could have gotten away with just playing four notes and being done. Yep, yep. But uh, this dude has solos for days. There's a song called Maxwell's Murder that's on that album. 
and not only is that solo all over the bass neck, it's at punk rock speeds. It's like 140 BPM or yeah. whatever it is. There's a, my favorite song that features the bass intro is Journey to the End of East Bay. And that starts off with just, it could be a bass solo, but it's actually the main sort of motif theme throughout that entire song. Mm-hmm. And they let the bass do that. And it's, I, I know like maybe 10 songs on the bass because I'm myself, I'm primarily a guitar player. Mm-hmm. That is one of the one bass songs I know. Is oh. I know how to play that intro because it's so iconic. To oh me. wow! <laughs> I've never heard you do that. Oh, because I can't do it as well as Matt Freeman. <laughs> I, I did my best, but there's a reason Matt Freeman is as good as he is. Is because he can go fast, he can go all up and down the neck, and do like musical theory stuff rather than mm-hmm. just the root notes. The other fun tidbit about that journey to the end of East Bay song: not only is it Matt Freeman being awesome on bass, it's actually uh, an homage song written about the history of Matt Freeman and Tim Armstrong, the leader of Rancid, their first band called Operation Ivy. It's a song about forming their first band together as friends. So like a Dave Grohl, there is that sort of like, I just want to jam with my friends sort of mentality, like bring the community together, especially with Matt Freeman because Rancid's still going, but Matt Freeman's been in probably about three or four different bands outside of that as well and still going to this day. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did see Rancid play about uh, three months ago. Oh, wow. And they're 30 years into their career. You think punk rockers would, you know, eventually get old and tired, but they're still going strong. And Matt Freeman can still rock it out on the bass with the best of them. So Matt Freeman for my bassist. <laughs> awesome. He has some good stuff. I I knew of Rancid. I, they're kind of a little, like I said, they're kind of a little deeper into mm-hmm. into punk. But they were around, uh, like I said, I went to art school, so there's plenty of kids with those battle jackets. I didn't know what they were called. And, you know, you'd be at parties, you'd hear it. And then when we're when you're like, here, listen to this. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I know that song. <laughs> but like Rancid, like Green Day is one of those bands, like punk rock was always supposed to be underground. And if you made it to the radio, they called you a sellout, yeah. you know. But Rancid and Green Day both somehow like survive that. They don't get the negativity with that. It's yeah. like, oh, they made it to the radio, but... If you like punk, you should like these guys because yeah. they were here first and doing it the best. Yep. All right. My bass player is is so obvious in a lot of ways, and this is also where we pull the argument that this band was formed in 1983. <laughs> but I'm telling you right now, no one really knew about them till like maybe 89. Well, true. But, but I think really 91 is when they hit, mm-hmm. and they hit hard. And they got to a point where I think people got sick of them. <laughs> they hit so hard in a lot of ways. <laughs> But if you're looking at any list of who are the best bass players, this guy always comes up. I wish I could pick Patrick Dahmer from live because I love his bass playing. <laughs> but I'm going to pick, and I also thought about picking um, Les Claypool from Primus. From Primus. Um, but he's, Les Claypool is like a force of nature. I, don't th- I think he can only be in Primus. And I think, like, yes, I agree. <laughs> And also there's an element of, like, Les Claypool does what he wants. Yes. And, and I think he more often than not chooses to be weird for the sake of being weird. Right. And, I, you know, that's a little bit to your detriment. Because, yeah. like, Primus, like, Les Claypool is a great bassist. He but is. he plays some weird, like, it is. am I listening to this right. kind of stuff? Right. As much as that, man, I, I, love, I love me some Primus. I even did, like, one of my art school projects where we're supposed to do an album cover, and I did a Primus album cover. There you go. For the punch bowl. <laughs> Did you put pork soda in the punch bowl? So, <laughs> but I picked from the Red Hot Chili Peppers, Flea. Yeah. 
And again, I know a lot of people say, oh, man, they had stuff in the 80s. No one knew about their stuff in the 80s until they came out with their What Hits album in 1992. That's it. Which had their stuff from the 80s in it. And that album went huge because of Blood Sugar Sex Magic that came out in 1991, the year before. Their biggest, um, I would say. That was It was huge. Um, but I'm, I'm going to have some like, oh, I knew about them. But I do remember in 89, I remember the Mother's Milk album because someone had it and it's got like a naked lady on the front of it. <laughs> and I was like 15. So right I, in that demographic. I, I remember that album and I, I remember stuff off there, but they weren't known other than they had diehard fans. Yes, I know. I, I got my Red Hot Chili Pepper tattoo in 1987. Sure. I but, get it. And I also think that's the explanation between why the explanation for why their first album was called What Hits cuz like yes they were formed in the 80s and were popular but it was like they were a party band and it was word of mouth like I know. I I got my Red Hot Chili Pepper tattoo in 1987. Sure. I but, get it. And I also think that's the explanation between why the explanation for why their first album was called What Hits cuz like yes they were formed in the 80s and were popular but it was like they were a party band and it was word of mouth like mm-hmm. they weren't on the radio yep. and they were like oh you're popular why what songs what hits but yeah. then they eventually showed up with them yeah so i mean what can you say about flea he's a he's a slap bassist he has he does so much stuff other than red hot chili peppers yep i mean that's the thing that's why he's better for me to throw on a band than less claypool cuz you know he can play well with others cuz he's played with so many others i always associate him with uh, rhcp okay i mean so one one of the things that like you had mentioned, they talked about Paul McCartney. So there was a girl who I liked in college. Her name was <laughs> Rory. Hi, Rory. And she played bass. She was from New York City. She was super cool. And I remember her showing me what you said about Paul McCartney. Like, listen to how good a bass player is. And she was like, did the thing where you like take your stereo and kind of sort of isolate the bass. So you yeah. turn the bass all the way up. And how he plays crazy stuff like underneath that doesn't seem like it goes with the song. Yep. So that always, to me, was like, good bass players do that. Yeah. Because that's what Rory told me. <laughs> and everyone knows his slap bass stuff. There's so many popular Red Hot Chili Peppers songs, and he's he's sitting there bum, 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 going crazy on it. But if you really want a good example of him playing crazy stuff under a thing, you have to go to one of the slow songs. So if you go to Breaking the Girl, which everyone should know, mm-hmm. listen to what he's doing under that. It's like a really sweet, slow song but he's doing cuckoo stuff <laughs> on the bass underneath that. And it works. It's perfect. It elevates that song. And that's what he's good at. Now, here's a, a thing that a lot of people don't know. Some people do know, but you ought to know <laughs> that that's a lot of more sets. You ought to know that song. <laughs> yes. The bass on that song is Flea. I, uh, yes. Yeah. That is good trivia. So it's really funny because if Flea is like a, crazy character like he grew up all like bohemian and stuff mm-hmm. and he he, had, he came out with a memoir that's kind of crazy seems like he went to like a montessori school type like homeschool do what you want free spirit type of dude absolutely yeah he was like born in australia but he's american his parent is crazy he has a crazy backstory but he's not only did the stuff with the last more set he's played on you can hear him and like uh, playing stuff with Johnny Cash, nice James Addiction, Fear. He does the Young MC, yeah, Pig Face and Rocket Juice and The Moon. <laughs> I mean, the, the, he's done so much stuff. And what's fun about Flea too is that he's also does acting. 
He was in, he was in Back <laughs> to the Future too. He three. was. That's right. He's he was been one of the goons. Yeah, he's been in tons tons of stuff. He just pops up here and there. He's in the Big Lebowski, Baby Driver. Oh, Baby Driver, I remember that yeah. one. He was in some weird one, like called Splendor or something. Spin. Yeah, maybe. Oh, yeah. He's that. He like if he shows up, you know they're having a good time on yeah. set. So I don't know what to say about Flea. Everyone knows Flea. Mm-hmm. He's just he's just kind of defined. If you think slap bass and you want to learn slap bass stuff, people start learning Red Hot Chili Peppers songs. That's it. I mean, I think that he was listed. Who made this list? The Rolling Stone ranked Flea the second best bassist of all time behind John Entwistle. I don't even know a John Entwistle, so Flea gets number one spot for me. I think John Entwistle is the who's? Oh, I'm not sure. Might be. He's an old, old-timey. Yeah. He's a, we're just sitting here going, we're music nerds, and we're like, <laughs> I don't know who he is. Uh, that's a, that's not a, That doesn't strike me as a common name. But <laughs> I would say Rush, but that was all Geddy Lee. Yeah, that was all Geddy Lee. So... It's kind of an obvious choice to pick Flea, but like I said, my weird choice would have been the guy from Live, <laughs> and I would have had so many examples of why he's awesome. Yep. If you want to know why Flea's awesome, listen to any Red Hot Chili Peppers song. He's going all crazy. Just like Behind the Sun. Yeah. That boom, 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 boom. That's like in the zeitgeist. <laughs> if you don't know what I just did there, you know. <laughs> And you're missing out. Yeah. For me, like it, it, when I think Flea and Red Hot Chili Peppers, it's around the world because it starts out super like punky and fast, and it's all bass, and it's like, how can fingers do that? And then it slips into funk, and you're like, okay, I didn't know this party was going this direction, yeah. but let's go. He's a fun guy, interesting guy, and works well with others. <laughs> that is funny, though. Shout out to Rory again, because I got to give a shout out to my friend Nick Grande, who was the bass player I knew, who was my sort of conduit to be like, here's the bass players you should pay attention to. And he showed me the Paul McCartney trick. Mm-hmm. He showed me Les Claypool. He's like, here's the weird stuff he's playing. And he's like, here's the Flea song I learned because that was keeping up with his chops, you know, yep. and progressing his skill was mm-hmm. to learn Flea songs. Mm-hmm. So if, you have, if you're so good at bass that people are using you to, like, improve their own skill, it's crazy. Yeah. And it seems like Flea is the heart and soul of the Red Hot Chili Peppers. For sure. Wearing those teddy bear pants, and I'm pretty sure he's the reason they all came out in socks in strategic places. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's all Flea. Yeah. He's, I mean, it was, he and Anthony Kiedis have been there from the start. They're the ones who started together. They met in like school. There you go. They've known each other forever. So, yeah. (laughs) I just have a, I just have a warm place for Red Hot Chili Peppers for some reason. There you go. They're kind of just, were always there. Mm Mm-hmm. So, uh, the staples for sure. Yeah. It just means if he's in your band, you got to give him a, a lot of free range, I would imagine. Yeah. Well, I also read how Chill Peppers is one of those bands that kind of, even through the grunge stuff, they weren't ever, they weren't grunge. They were their own thing. They've always been their own thing band. That's it. Funk and weird. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, speaking of weird, that leads nicely into the guitar player that I picked. Uh, like your live band caveats, the guitar player would have gone to Billy Corgan had yeah. Smashing Pumpkins been on the table. Not only is Billy Corgan the reason I wanted to learn guitar, I think he's underrated as far as not given enough credit for how he innovated guitar rock music. Mm-hmm. But that's a discussion for a different time. Because we're not here to talk about the problem <laughs> I couldn't pick him. But so I went a weird. A lot of the obvious choices for guitar would have been lead guitarists. Because when you think of guitars, you think of solos, you think of the yep. diddly diddlies and the woo woos and yep. the whammy bars and the Hendrix and all that stuff. Yep. For me... Even in all the bands I was in in high school and all that stuff, I was always the rhythm guitarist because that's just what I was comfortable with. I'm not good at a solo. I'm not good at the flashy because my fingers are short and stubby. Mm-hmm. But I could handle a weird rhythm. 
I could handle a riff all day long. The person that helped me understand it and become a better rhythm guitar player was actually the singer and guitar player for a band called Soul Coughing, and that's Mike Doty. Oh, yeah. Soul Coughing, uh, I guess, is it more it had more of a cult following in the neighborhood, like radio player popularity. Yeah. They did get on the radio. Uh, you might remember songs like Super Bon Bon. Mm-hmm. Uh, Circles. Circles, yeah. Circles was the one that, that, that's the one, I think I have it on my <laughs> Spotify list. That that song was played a lot at parties, and it was like part of the party mix, for sure. And part of MTV coming up, because both those songs had weird music videos. Yeah. But the band itself was more like a cake, or a Beck, or a mm, yeah. They Might Be Giants, just even like a Primus. Mm-hmm. They had they had samples in there. They had jazz improvisation. Mike Doty himself as a singer was more like a stream of consciousness sort of dude and almost would just like shout and beat poetry for his lyrics, which I love, but, you know, that's not everybody's cup of tea. But the secret thing about Mike Doty is that as a rhythm guitarist, he doesn't, there's not many guitar solos in any soul coughing music. And to be fair, the guitar playing in Soul Coughing is sort of buried in the mix. So you mm-hmm. wouldn't even, I can't even really point to a song to be like, listen to this guitar part, because mm-hmm. it's not really that case. But if you start paying attention to the guitar in any song that you're listening to, of the three albums that they released, because Soul Coughing was a sort of one and done 90s band, you start noticing that the guitar parts are chords you recognize, but the rhythms are weird. And it's to serve this sort of... Mike Doty called it deep slacker jazz is how he labeled his own band. <laughs> but it, it's it's synchronization, it's off rhythms, it's weird time signatures, but it's still pop chords that you would recognize, just played in a totally unique way. Mm-hmm. And you can kind of notice that in Soul Coughing, but also I would say Mike Doty, outside of Soul Coughing, had his own uh, solo career that took off, which is 2000s and later. Mm-hmm. But with that... He sort of reclaimed those old Soul Coughing songs and did them for guitar and bass a little bit more, but still kept all that weird rhythms. So it's almost like Soul Coughing Unplugged. You can go listen to him on acoustic guitar, and it's acoustic guitar music, which you would think is like folky or straightforward, but you're like, that's so weird. Like, what is this tuning? Why is it this rhythm? And so that's why I'm picking Mike Doty. He just sort of opened my eyes to what a rhythm guitar could be, what alternate tunings for a guitar mm-hmm. could be, because it's not just the standard tuning you wouldn't normally do on a guitar once you actually get into it but it's it's weird but still accessible so he, he just reshaped my whole mind when it came to rhythm guitar and that's why i want him in my band now this is kind of on the, the letterman tip howard stern loved soul coughing yeah. and loved super bonbon and you can find and of course this isn't from this is from recently maybe five ten years ago is still written it's not the 90s um but you can find a video of him playing super bonbon just with him and a guitar um on the howard stern show nice okay and, and you can see that he actually is a very technically good guitar player mm-hmm. so if anyone's wondering if that's a good example just look for mike doty on howard stern super bonbon and he sings the whole time he does it yeah. and like i said he's probably I've seen we, we talked about seeing bands a whole bunch of times. I've Mike Doty is probably up there as far as like top one or two of the mm. the artists I've seen live the most. And he's like a Dave Grohl. Like yes, he plays guitar, yes, he sings, but he does synthesizers, he does bass, he does weird vocoders, and just it's never the same set twice. And as far as like musicians, you want in your band, you want somebody that can fit whatever you're doing, mm-hmm. and he definitely applies to that. So go see Mike Doty. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, for my guitar player and. 
Here's here's the one thing I do love, and we keep talking about the bands we love because we love them, even though <laughs> we can't pick them. I do love Live, and I do love Chad Taylor as their guitar player, but I don't think he's like the best lead guitar player ever in the 90s. I got you. So, I mean, you do great, buddy, but <laughs> <laughs> he, he's good. But for me, I had to sit here and be like, who who do I air guitar with when I'm listening to 90s music the most? Good call. And then I, I was like, I think probably this, Live's my favorite band and the the second my second favorite band isn't even Nirvana. My I think my second favorite band is Pearl Jam. Nice. And I think Pearl Jam gets forgot because they're kind of like the Rolling Stones of the '90s. They all lived, so you know. <laughs> oh, that's true. <laughs> you know, where I kind of see a parallel. Nirvana's the Beatles, and Pearl Jam is the Rolling Stones. And they're both part of a movement that had. Right. They weren't the only people in there. Exactly. But it was total genre defining. For exactly. Sure. Now. Pearl Jam has two guitar players, and one of them is Stone Gossard, and I think he might be known better because his name is Stone Gossard. What which a is, great name. Which is a great name. And he's kind of like the one who would sit next to Eddie Vedder in the interviews and stuff. Mm-hmm. He was the more vocal guy. But he's actually the rhythm guitar player. Um, their lead guitar player is Mike McCready. Yes. And what's interesting about Pearl Jam songs is that they actually would put Mike McCready in one ear or speaker and Stone Gossard in the other ear speaker oh, when they mix it. Nice. So it's actually Pearl Jam has a guitar chorus in a lot of ways. That's it. So you'll see that Mike McCready is listed as the lead guitarist of Pearl Jam, but Stone Gossard is listed as the lead and rhythm guitarist. Okay. So uh, it's they each have things going on. But the reason why I go for Mike McCready over Stone Gossard is because he's the one who has all that high-flying rock god stuff that that goes on in Pearl Jam that gets me air guitaring. There it is. My favorite Pearl Jam song of all time is Even Flow. I love that song. Uh, it's funny that that's not a lot of people's top song to me, I guess, because that song just drives, man. I love that song so much. You're not wrong about Even Flow, but I think that's just a testament to Pearl Jam because they have so many songs you can choose from to be like, no, this is their right. best. No, this is their best. Right. But Even Flow, that's a hard one to top. Yeah, he he just uh, Mike McCready on that one is just shredding, going all over the place. He's got that whole kind of like, we like to watch um, videos by Rick Beato. Beato! Yeah, right? And if you don't know who he is, look him up on YouTube. He has great stuff, musical nerd stuff, and if you are really into music and you know what susses are and all this kind of stuff. He's he, the one that let me know Flea was on Alanis Morissette. Yeah, he he breaks he breaks stuff down, but he often refers to Mike McCready stuff as Hendrixy. Oh, I believe that. Um, which is they also play like the same kind of guitar, so that's oh, why okay. or Stone Gossard. I think one of them plays like a Strat, and the other one plays a. Uh, I, if I'm I, allow me to be nerdy, this is pure speculation, but if we're talking about the like the the usual default between rhythm guitar player and lead guitar player. The lead is on a Strat, and the and the rhythm is on a Gibson. I think that might be it. That'd be my $2 bet right there. Um, but like I said, even flow just, I mean, that gets me air guitar, and he's doing all kinds of stuff in there. Most people will point to Yellow Leadbetter because he's going all kinds of blues guitar on that song. I was just going to add it as a note, but Yellow Leadbetter, uh, full stop, is my favorite guitar solo of all time. Yeah, I mean, he's... He's just showing off on that song a lot. And it's really interesting. One of the great things, I love part of his story in that 
one of his biggest influences is probably one of my favorite guitar players of all time who can't really be on this because he wasn't he was he left this world before the 90s really was stevie ray vaughn oh yeah texas flood yeah so mike mccready actually he started playing like really young and he had a band in the eighth grade <laughs> that actually was like getting some traction believe it or not yeah um, but then they broke up and because he was a kid he was like screw this i'm not gonna do this band <laughs> stuff so he quit the guitar what yeah i didn't know um, that part but then one of his friends took him to a steve ray vaughn concert right oh. and he literally said that he was at the concert and steve ray vaughn started to play couldn't stand the weather nice and he said it started to rain oh what a moment and then he said as soon as steve ray vaughn stopped the sun came out that's the magic of Stevie Ray Vaughan. I know, right? Like. And he said it was like a religious experience. And he says, I thank him forever for that. Because he was like, I need to play the guitar again. And here's the crazy thing. This is going to give, this gives me, I'm having chills, goosebumps right now. My hair's standing up. He started playing again. Mm-hmm. He was playing Couldn't Stand the Weather. Okay. When a guy named Stone Gostard came in. Oh, what? And was like, that guy, he needs to be in our band Pearl Jam. That's mythology. That's lore. That's Is that amazing. not crazy? This very same song. Wow. Yeah, right? Serendipity. So Mike McCree is just great. Under, Like I said, everyone knows Pearl Jam. And again, it's Eddie Vedder's the standout. Everyone thinks Eddie Vedder. Yeah, vocals and, you know, yep. and all that kind of stuff. He's, you know, and then Stone Gossard's over there too. So you kind of got Mick Jagger and Keith Richards. And Eddie Veteran Stone Gossard. There you go. Right? Yeah. Meanwhile, the other guys are like, yeah, there's two other guys in the Rolling Stones, right? <laughs> you know? To be fair, though, it is really hard to compete with a guy named Stone Gossard. And like, Eddie Vedder. Those are like, that, you're, you're meant to be rock stars. And your name's Mike McCready, <laughs> which is just some dude. Hi, I'm uh, Mike. Yeah. I'm Rick, ready to go. <laughs> oh. But he's, he's great. I also have to say, before we move on, the song Black He's uh, so haunting on that. that he's, it's a whole different thing. It's a whole different style of playing. It's totally different than Even Flow, totally different than Yellow Lead Better. Yep. It's like a haunting way he plays on there. Also, you can find in their concert a lot, he'll cover Eruption on <laughs> oh, nice. Van Halen and just and nail it. And also, he was the lead guitarist of Mad Season, and that was the band that had Lane Staley in it. 90 super group. It was a super group. Everyone thinks... The Mad Season songs are Alice in Chain songs. That's but, me, yeah. But they're not. I had no um, idea Mike McCready was in Mad Season. Yeah, Mad Season had Mike McCready from Pearl Jam, Lane Staley from Alice in Chains, and Barrett Martin, the drummer from Screaming Trees, and a bass player who wasn't, I guess they just was one of their buddies. He wasn't <laughs> in anything. We need a bass player. Come John, hang John Baker Saunders. But River of Deceit is my favorite, one of the Mad Season songs. Yeah, they only yeah. did, ever did one album, but that's got good stuff on it, so... Mike McCready, I want you shredding like Stevie Ray Vaughan in my band. Oh, for sure. Uh, who who did you say is, described him as Hendrixy? That was Rick Beato. Beato said that. Yeah. Okay. Well, I got to slight Beato a little bit then because your story about Stevie Ray Vaughan not only is it serendipitous and and chill inducing, goosebump inducing, but that's way a way better descriptor. Right. Because Hendrix, not not to, no shade at all to Hendrix at all, like virtuoso, absolutely. Mm-hmm. But Stevie Ray Vaughan had like a sense of melody and warmth right. to the things he did. Yes, right. it was flashy, but it was always mm-hmm. like, t- 
to make you feel something. Right. And I get that with Mike McReady. Right. Like, that's just a pure transference right there. Well, you know what? And I would very well say that Steve Ray Vaughn was influenced himself by Hendrix. There you go. So maybe he's hearing, because Rick Beato is a musical genius himself, <laughs> he might be hearing those bits yep. that came through Steve Ray Vaughn, yep. you know? Yeah. So. I, I also say that because I, I really can't stand the, the diddly diddly guitar players like the Steve Vai's or the Joe Satriani's. Oh, yeah. Like, those could have been in our 90s band, but ugh, that gets tiresome after a yeah. while. You need a Steve Ray Vaughan or a Hendrix that adds a little bit of melody and flair to it. Yeah, for sure. But, oh, you were speaking about super groups. We're, we're on the singers right yeah, now. Yeah, we're on our singers. And, and this is, we talk about Pearl Jam, we're talking about Nirvana, we're talking about Alice in Chains, but one name that hasn't come up, and I will now be glad to bring it up because it deserves to be in all of that group of conversation, is Soundgarden with its lead frontman and powerful, awesome, angelic singer, Chris Cornell. He has also in a band with Mike McCready, Temple of the Dog. It's essentially, Temple of the Dog was essentially Pearl Jam plus Chris Cornell. Yes, I know. That's all it is. Like, yeah. same drummer. I think Stone Gossard was yep, also Stone in Stone Gossard was there. Eddie Vedder's I, I still there. Jeff Ament was there, too. But it's Chris Cornell adding in those high, yeah. screeching, uh, not screeching, because that, that sounds negative, but yeah. those high, just powerful right. just mm. operatic notes yeah. and so that's that's i'm like, with you on this one dude this is why i'm <laughs> saying yes so much because chris cornell is like that's a, where mike mccready's a rock god on the guitar he's a rock god vocally and it, it like a dave grohl like there's so much there like i'm not going to say anything new that hasn't already said yeah, about chris right. cornell but i'm going to continue to sing his praises Obviously, with the caveat R.I.P., who's gone yeah. too soon, one of the greatest losses of '90s music yes. musicians. But when you think of grunge, you think of you think of Kurt Cobain, you think of Eddie Vedder, you think of Lane Staley. It's all great, unique vocalists in their own right, mm. but had a lower tone sort of style, like a yeah. gruffness. Chris Cornell had like the glam hair metal, yes. like the old school '80s yes. metal, where it's just like, oh, I'm going to sing gruff, and here comes the verses. But then the chorus, I'm just going to soar. Yeah. And even up till recently, you can go listen to, there's a podcast episode by a comedian we know, Josh Adam Myers, mm -hmm. uh, interviewed Kim Thal, the guitar player from Soundgarden, uh, recently, I would say maybe about a year ago. And he asked him, and was like, what was it like hearing Chris Cornell? And Kim Thal just said, like, when, you, when he's in the booth, when he was recording his vocal takes, everybody stopped. Wow. Because it was just that powerful, like it wasn't a it wasn't a vocal fry, it wasn't a vocal technique. Like he was belting it out, and you could feel it. And when you go listen to those songs, you can feel it. Mm -hmm. uh, my hipster point is, I got into Soundgarden with Bad Motorfinger because of my brother, so I was there early. And uh, they did blow up with Super Unknown, where you get the Spoonmans and your mm -hmm. Black Eyed Sons, which were their big radio hits, but not really the biggest example of. Uh, him singing because mm -hmm. it's it's trying to fit into that the grunge radio lane right. so it's all sort of low and mumbly yeah but go back one album and you got rusty cage you've got oh, outshined yeah. you've got jesus christ pose mm -hmm. and it's just i'm like it's like oh it's church here i'm like mm -hmm, yeah i'll preach <laughs> but not only that it, it it fits the band sound that they were going for so not only is a great singer it fits their sound they're going for you can even go, thanks to the magic of the internet and now having all these videos, go find Chris Cornell doing solo stuff. He had a second career with Audio Slave yeah. with Tom Morello from Rage mm -hmm. Against the Machine. Yeah. So it didn't end with Soundgarden. But, sorry, one, one quick note on Audio Slave. So Like a Stone was huge, yep. right? 
But the reason I know Chris Cornell is a great singer is because anytime that song comes on the radio, like you're with the air guitar from Mike mm-hmm. McCready, I have to sing along to Chris Cornell's mm-hmm. part for Like a Stone. But I run out of breath like yeah. second chorus. Yep. But he's still going. I'm like, oh, <laughs> I surrender. You can also go find one thing that I will point out is that you should definitely go look for is that Chris Cornell by himself with an acoustic guitar covering the Prince song, Nothing Compares to You. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Made hugely popular by Sinead O'Connor, mm-hmm. written by Prince, so yeah. like that's just a perfect song already. But then him and just his acoustic guitar doing it himself, like no production value, just in a studio. I think it was for Sirius XM. It's haunting now because he has passed, but even then it's just like, holy crap. Mm-hmm. I'm feeling things I didn't know I could yeah. feel just from singing. So Chris Cornell, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, one definitely. of the greatest. Definitely. Yeah, the, the that like a stone song has well first of all bad motor finger yes yes that was <laughs> i mean like i said i i was a major grunge kid i'm not trying to pull points it was was the music of the era that i was in so mm-hmm. it was kind of the mainstream stuff even though it was called alternative i was the age where the alternative was aimed towards me yeah yeah but i got into all that seattle stuff from the first album stuff i'm i knew about all that stuff before the second albums of a lot of them, mm-hmm. like Mental Julia with Live and Bad Morning Finger and um, Bleach. So, uh, but anyway, it was great stuff. And but I was gonna say, like a stone, and because I gotta mention, I gotta mention everyone in Live at least once before. <laughs> Ed Qualchick, the lead singer of Live, he doesn't come close to Chris Cornell, but he does kind of belt it out like an old '80s glam guy a lot of times, for sure. And during one of their songs, when I saw them in concert, they would kind of go into, it was after he had passed. Okay. They would go into like a stone real quick, and Ed could Ed could hang. That's awesome. So, but. That's a great homage. Not Chris Cornell. <laughs> no offense, Ed. Anyway. Chris, Chris Cornell is a little bit prettier looking. He has yeah. better hair. Ed <laughs> Kowalczyk had that weird no braid. Hair. I don't shade him, but. <laughs> <laughs> okay, my singer is kind of out of left field. Now, I want to tell you first, you know that I love the female singing voice. Yes. I love it very much. I wanted, I wanted to pick a, a female singer uh, for my band. And the first one that kind of rises up, there's so many good 90s female singers. The first one that kind of stands out is, of course, Alanis Morissette. Oh, yeah. But Alanis Morissette, to me, is a lot like a Les Claypool. She is such her own thing and has such a unique way of singing. And, like, she's a force of nature. She's, like, her own thing. Yes. Like, if I put her with other people, they're just going to... Because, like you said, Flea was in You Ought to Know and no one noticed. <laughs> right? So, um, because she's a force of nature. So I want to let her kind of go and be her own thing over there. There you go. Uh, but there's so many good singers. Now, this one was someone who I wouldn't have thought about it until recently because recent things have brought her back to my mind. And the main one was when she had a three-hour-long interview on on Joe Rogan. Nice. So I'm picking the singer Jewel. Oh, yeah. So that is a curveball. That's awesome. It's a total curveball. The folk singer-songwriter, she was so huge in the 90s that it's her stuff is so good that it, like, cut through all this grunge stuff. Mm-hmm. And she's sitting there doing, like, singer-songwriter stuff in the middle of all this. Now, yes, there was all that Lilith Fair stuff and stuff going on, but even them... They were still kind of different. Yes. It was different stuff. And I'm talking about, you know, you got your Tori Amoses, which was what the goth kids liked her because her songs were depressing. <laughs> so that was kind of in the goth lane. You know what I mean? And then you got your Sarah McLaughlin. 
which of course she was like you know the also that same kind of the the sad depressed girls like <laughs> that music it's, it's the it's the slow sauntering folk yeah. music like the indigo girls yes. and all that stuff for sure but jewel was so different and everyone knows her from the her the pieces of you album which you know has who will save your soul you were meant for me fool james these were all billboard top 10s and fives and on the hundred list i mean multi-platinum all yeah, this stuff pieces of you stuck around for a long yeah, time it stuck around for a really long time but the thing is is that with all that with the folk stuff a lot of people don't realize how good she was everyone knows the yodeling and all that kind of stuff and she's oh first of all one of the reasons i like jewel a lot mm-hmm. remember used to people used to make fun of her like teeth that's it she had a crooked tooth mm-hmm. there you go oh look at that it's this i have the same it's the exact same tooth Look at a picture of Jewel. I think she's had them fixed now. But look at a picture of Jewel from back then. It's We have the exact same crooked tooth. There you go. It's in the exact same spot. It, it's crooked the exact same way. I remember when I saw her, I was like, hey. <laughs> we have the same thing. <laughs> same tooth. I think that this may be urban myth, so I might be repeating uh, uh, garbage. But they said Freddie Mercury never changed his teeth because he didn't want it to affect his vocal performance. Yeah. And I think Jewel has been interviewed saying something along similar lines. Maybe. So. Maybe. So she has such a crazy story. If go listen to the Rogan interview, it's worth it. But you know, she grew up in like Alaska, like so far away from civilization, you know, and yeah, outside of the music that we're talking about. Yeah, where they had to entertain themselves with like just singing as a family and stuff. So her dad used to play and she would yodel and then when she was young, she went off to a arts academy to and studied operatic singing. Oh, and then she left there and went over to California and was like homeless living in her car and <laughs> and playing in uh, coffee houses. And then just she made this one coffee house was she became so popular. They couldn't fit all the people in there and because it was, of her. Yeah, because of her. And it was literally one of those one of those mythical things that shouldn't have. You know, people are like that never happens. Like, you know, a record guy was like, what the heck is going on over here? Yeah. And was like, oh, well, this this is pretty good stuff. So that's how she came through. And man, the the reason why I, so Alana's had her big album, right? And I had it and I loved her and I had posters of her and all this kind of stuff. Uh But then when I like thought back, I had, Jewel had, I had all her first four albums. I had them all. Nice. And, you know, Alana's kind of like did that album and then kind of like she did her thing and then she went off. That's it. And I'm not sure what she did. She's still been around. I know they made a musical of her stuff, but. Mm -hmm. She didn't stick with me like Jewel stuck with me. I get it. And some great examples of her stuff isn't just on her albums. There is a Woodstock 99 performance. Okay. Remember, that was the one where Limp Bizkit broke everything? <laughs> where it was all on fire. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. Disaster. And her Woodstock 99 performance is so good front to back. But at the end, you can see her do Who, Who Will Save Your Soul. And she goes all jazzy and scatty and crazy on it. Mm-hmm. And one of our other favorite YouTube watches, much like Rick Beato, is Beth Roars, who's a vocal coach from Scotland. Yes. And she likes to react to things and basically what makes them them is what she says. So she like will listen to someone and she'll kind of, as a vocal coach, tell you what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And if you watch her watching that performance, it's hilarious because she's like... Yeah, I know who Jewel is, but I really didn't keep up with her. And then as the performance goes on, she's like 
jaw dropping and going like, what is happening right now? Yeah. And just and like, what? Why have I not? Why don't I listen to her all the time? You, you, you sent know? that link to me and I sort of had a similar reaction because Jewel, when she was, when Pieces of You was like blown up and that uh, Who Will Save Your Soul was on the radio, they always seemed to mention the yodeling bit. Mm-hmm. Like, she's from Alaska. She yodels. And yeah. it was almost a novelty. Yeah. But not knowing that she also did operatic training and did like more schooling for just vocal performance in general and then hearing Beth Roars break it down to the parts that like the scatting and all the things she's bringing into the just this one song right. it is like holy crap i didn't realize it was this good yeah she has an insane range she can go really down low and all the way up into a whistle that's it tone it's crazy and i love that kind of stuff i love a singer who can and the thing about her too is she's not like that the singer at the national anthem who's all going up and down you know what i mean uh, that's one way of singing that's considered good singing that gets you stand up applause when you're on America's Got Talent the or, Mariah Carey special yeah, yeah that kind of stuff this is different she comes she has like kind of a jazzy she mixes everything together really is what i like about it her stuff and cuz she's she went on to do after the 2000s turned and stuff was heading towards pop, she did a pop album. Oh, nice. And it's great. <laughs> the intuition on that song, the, 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 there's a dance mix of intuition that's in my workout jams <laughs> and stuff. And then she like ended up doing a country album too because she can do that. Makes I sense. Think Dolly Parton was on that with her. Oh, fun. And then more recently, which I don't watch this show. This show is like seems like whatever, but there's that mass singer show. It's huge though. Yeah. And I was like, what was going on? But and anyway, it came up like there were songs like from the mass singer. I'm like, what was she doing on the mass? Well, apparently she won the mass singer. Oh, nice. Um, which is, I guess they don't know who it is. And it's just like an America's Got Talent where they're voting. People vote on it, I guess. And the voice, you're going and, purely yeah. based on performance and right. not what they look like. But all the people are famous yeah. or were famous. But, I mean, they've had some real people on there. <laughs> I, I say real people because, I mean, some of the stuff is like, some of the people on there are like, what are you? It's like Dancing with the Stars. Yeah. Stunt stuff. But, I mean, Aloe Black's been on there. Okay. And, like, there's been legit artists I've on only there. heard about the stunt stuff like Sarah Palin and yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. But there's been some legit artists. If I see Aloe Black on there. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, come on. But, anyway, so Jewel was on there, and so they cover songs so you can see her range of what she covers. Nice. And she did Bishop Briggs River, uh, which oh, is great. I love that song. Bishop Briggs does it better, Jewel. Sorry, but, I mean, hers is good. Uh, but I, I, I just but based on the tone of that song, I can see Jewel being a powerhouse because of that Woodstock performance. I can right. see her doing a real good job on that. But now I have to say, you're saying, why are you putting her with all these other guys? Um, there, She has one song on her Pieces of You album no one ever talks about. It's called Rocker Girl. Okay. And if you listen to Rocker Girl, that is a punk song. Ah. It's she's it's just her and her guitar, but if you electrified it and put some drums in it, it's a I mean, it's a punk song. You get Trey Cool on the drums behind yeah. there, you get Mike McCready doing yep. some solos in the in the breaks. Yeah, it's a fun song. It's all about her like being a rocker girl. <laughs> That's great. It reminds me of a bowling for soup song in a lot of ways. Another favorite. Yeah. They'll have to be eliminated if we ever do a, a 2000s band. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know I've seen them as many times as I've seen live. <laughs> No, but Jewel, that's great. I, I do feel bad that I have like a total dude band. Like I, PJ Harvey was in contention for one of my singers, but Jewel is an amazing pick. 
All right, now it's time for wild cards. I'm, Mikey, who's your spice on the top? Who's your wild card spice? This is quick and easy because it's super silly. I was trying to think of like, do I add keyboards? Do I add a? Do I go ska and add some trombones in there? But when I started thinking about ska, because I did grow up as a ska kid, I was like, oh, I gotta, I gotta give props to my man Ben Carr. You may not know that name, but you I know do. his role. And Ben Carr was the dancing man for the Mighty Mighty Boston. Yes, he's the Boston. That's his role. On I. I'm from that area, yes. I'm, and, and again, I'm not trying to pull cred, just Boston, Massachusetts. But that, yeah, I'm from the Boston area, and I knew about the Bostons before anyone else did because they were a local band, but they're a huge local band. Yep. And well, I think they were on Kerrang! Oh, yeah, yeah. Back then, and I had tapes of them back before anyone knew who they were, and he was always listed. They listed, like, you know, the Dickie Barrett singer, and mm-hmm. all. they listed all the guys on the horns, and then it just said... Boston, <laughs> and then it had his name and the Boston's job was to dance around on stage uh-huh. uh there's a it, great interviews out there with him i came into the Boston's late with when it was mtv all over the place yeah. was the impression that i get yep that's the song most people know when they think of the Boston. Mm-hmm. but you see him in the video and he's dancing in between everybody the hilarious story is that around the time they were first starting to come together as band because they were all like high school buddies or neighborhood buddies mm-hmm. And it's a ska band, so there's like eight of them. Yep. And Ben Carr started out as one of their roadies, just helping them bring stuff in. And they were going to a club, and he was too young to get in. So I guess Dickie was like, ah, he's in the band. And the club actually was like, okay, prove it. You have to get up on stage with the band. And he's like, I guess I'll just start dancing around. <laughs> and that's how it was. He was a roadie. He, he ended up having a career being like part of their road manager and helping mm, them yeah. set up like recording gigs and doing behind-the-scenes stuff. But he's been at every show, he's been at every recording, and he's just the hype man. And if there's something I want for my band, I want a hype man. Mm -hmm. He's there to let you know that it's okay to dance weird, because he's not a great dancer. He's not a great dancer. He's like an Irish white dude from Boston. I know all those dance moves, and those are the only dance moves I know, (laughs) so I'm happy to do it with him. But it's such a... it's. I don't know any band that's done that since. No. There probably has been, but when I think of auxiliary member that's dancing around, I think Boston's. And he does such a great job, such such a great energy that absolutely I want that in my band is the extra spice. Yeah. They do set up a mic for him sometimes to just interject, like literally like a hit man. Yeah. And also, like, I mean, Boston's, a lot of it's like gang background vocals, like for the chant alongs, because that's ska. So he helps out with that. But. Yeah, he's he's the Irish white guy dancer. He's my hero. <laughs> uh, my wild card is a uh, personal thing too. Um, in our little band, I'm the harmonica player. Yes, and the one of the greatest harmonica players of all time is John Popper from Blues Traveler. Oh, nice! And I want him playing harmonica on the side. You could argue that he's kind of a force of nature person too, but he's done tons of collabs with tons of people. When when you need a harmonica, and you can afford him, I guess, when mm-hmm. you're famous enough. You can bring in John Popper to play harmonica for you. He's done so much stuff. But nice. Blues Traveler was a huge band in the 90s that sounded different. They're, they're another one. They're kind of like a Red Hot Chili Peppers. They kind of rose up as something different. Yeah, they're, not exactly bluegrass, not exactly folk, not exactly not a grunge rock. band. Yeah. yeah, they're a blues rock band. They just sounded so unique. Um, and most people know of their album, Four, but again... I'm not trying to pull cred, but to me it was uh, Travelers and Thieves with their Dungeons and Dragons cover, their earlier band. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that was a, I wore that album out 
still one of my favorite albums. It has the best stuff on it to me. They had the commercial success and they hit MTV huge with that the runaround video with the Alice in Wonderland thing where they're making fun of the fact that he was a big fat dude yep. behind the curtain with the cool looking band in front. <laughs> I mean, it's a, it was a good bit. And then Runaround had the whole like scat breakdown that he does too, which was another part of the bit. Yeah. Um, so, but um, he's done so much. He's like, listen, I just have his list of collaborators just to show how good he's done stuff with Spin Doctors, Dave Matthews Band, Fish. Ah, I gotta go. <laughs> uh, Almond Brothers, Clapton, BB King, Jason Mraz, John Mayer, Metallica. Nice. Smashing Pumpkins. Oh, right. Now I got to think what Smashing Pumpkins harmonica song is. It's right here. Smashing Pumpkins on the second day of their acoustic 1997 Bridge School benefit appearance. Oh, okay. Contributing harmonica for their song Porcelain. Porcelain. Porcelain of the the Vast vast Oceans. Yep. Wow. So maybe you can find that out there. I'm definitely going to track that down. Also, have you ever heard the Roseanne song with the harmonica in it? Yeah. That was him. Okay. (laughs) Nice. Wait, like Roseanne the show? The show. Yep. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, So. Yeah, John Popper. I want some harmonica in there too. So, and but like, such a credit to him because like harmonica is never really, I, I would say, never really considered like a main band instrument. Right. But the dude, like that's he brought it to the forefront of like, here's what you can do with harmonica, he and is. I'm gonna blow your mind right. at the same time. He plays it like no one else. I still haven't seen anyone who can play like him. I don't even know anybody that has that vest that he yeah. has where it's like 12 harmonicas ready to go, like Band- a battle vest. Bandolier of harmonicas. <laughs> Did you know that he goes through like 300 harmonicas a year? Does he, like, do they break? Yeah. Like, is he yeah. playing? What? He blows them out. <laughs> That's crazy. He blows them out. And he throws them out. As like when the, he throws them out like picks. Oh, that's cool. In the concerts. That's way. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. And he also has a the band on his hat. You know, he wears that kind of cowboy looking hat. Yeah, like the bullet, not a bolero. I don't know what it's yeah. called. But the band on it is made out of old harmonicas. <laughs> like the <laughs> that's living into the bit. That's yeah, awesome. It's great. He's a great. I love that guy. All right, so Mikey, your band. Remind us who's on the band and what kind of music do you think they would play collectively together. So I got Ben Carr is the dancer in the background hyping everybody up so they can hear Dave Grohl on the drums, Matt Freeman from Rancid on bass, Mike Doty from Soul Coughing on guitar, and Chris Cornell just belting it out. All right, so what, 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 what's the name of your band and what music do they play? Well, here, the music that they play is power pop. And just because... Power pop. I know. It, it's, simpl- it's simplified. It's a little bit cheesy. But here's the thing. All these guys have done harmonies or sung their own songs to a certain degree. They're all singers, regardless of what spot I put them in. So I kind of want to hear like four-part harmony, like Beatles, Fountains of Wayne, just radio-friendly pop songs. Because they are such expert musicians, I want to restrict them and be like, (laughs) you have to write a pop song. And it's power pop, so we can have distortion and loud guitars in there and dancing in the background. But... Uh, that that is what I want to hear them in, just because that harmony of those four people would be the weirdest, most awesome thing. Uh, it, the name I come up with off the top of my head because it's been a theme for a couple of our picks. They're just going to be called Supergroup. <laughs> super generic, but it is a supergroup, and that's the name they're going with because they're playing pop songs, pop name. That's great, man. Uh, right, so f- for me, let's see. We got Trey Cool from Green Day on the drums, Flea on the bass. Uh, Mike McCready from Pearl Jam on the guitar. Jewel is singing. 
That's, that's and crazy. We got John Popper on a harmonica. Woo. So we got a lot of folk with country and then like rock and crazy stuff. Mm-hmm. Man, so I'm thinking this is going to be some crazy blues rock band. I mean, do you know John Spencer Blues Explosion? Oh, absolutely. Type? It's going to be something like like that. It's some kind of high flying, crazy, bluesy, but at the same time rock and go, oh man, I want to I want to hear it. And I man, what would they be called? Something like Spirit Rider. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Spirit Rider, yeah. Playing at the dive bar down in Deep Ellum on a on a Wednesday. They're not <laughs> playing Friday because they're just they're they're doing blues rock, but it's just weird. Like there's funk breakdowns, yeah. there's scat breakdowns. Go, I think it might go rockabilly Ooh, almost in a lot of ways. That's it. Yeah, man. It'd be crazy. With one punk song, though, that they all buy into. I want to hear some punk harmonica, and I want to hear Mike McCready play real fast. Yeah, they need to take that rocker girl song of hers. There and, you go. You know, do that. <laughs> That's when yeah. everybody gets rowdy on too many too many beers. <laughs> Spirit Rider, I love it. I don't, it just came to my brain. It's perfect. It, it fits. <laughs> I will not dispute it. <laughs> so, man, that was a lot of fun. We're getting I, the band back together. <laughs> We hope that I'm spelling Spirit Rider with a Y. I just saw that. Okay, that's <laughs> awesome. I think that's part of the rules. <laughs> uh, Spirit Rider with a Y. <laughs> well, this was a lot of fun. We hope you guys enjoy listening to it as much as we enjoyed talking about it. Yeah. We want you guys to like go through and pick your picks. We want to know what they are. Uh, let us know who your what your '90s rock supergroup is, mm-hmm. and also know if you let us like the bit. We can do this so much more. We have an idea to do a '90s hip hop version of it. That's it, uh, and we can do it with the '80s and the '70s and the '60s. It's gonna be tough when we get to like a '20s swing band, but maybe yeah. we can we can figure something out. Yeah, I think uh, yeah, I think we might have a hard time going past <laughs> the '60s, maybe, but. We can do it for a few errors and genres. <laughs> we got a few out of it. So uh, you let us know. You can hit us up at AssumingPod on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can also Gmail us, AssumingPositions at gmail.com. Back out. Every week I ask Mikey, how would you like the Gmail formatted? I would like it in a three-minute and 30-second pop song. If you have any complaints, you actually have to write a song, record it, (laughs) audio file on the email. You know how this goes. Oh, great. That's great. Uh, We want to thank you guys so much for listening. Please like and share. Whatever you listen to this on, they're going to have something you can rate. Uh, So give us five stars, thumbs up, whatever it lets you do. We also want to thank that guy, Brad, for doing our announcing. Not Scott Production for our equipment. Jazz are for our music. And we hope you guys have a great week. Listen to some 90s rock music. I don't know what that was. It sounded like a freaking... Uh, that. A sitar? <laughs> <laughs> Is that what you do with your hands? A no. sitar? <laughs> It sound like what's that thing you put your hands on? The that thing goes woo. They use it in like a theremin. Yes, that sounded like a theremin. I don't know what the heck I was doing. <laughs> Channel on your Danny Elfman. <laughs>